Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Dean. And hello, everybody. Um, it's, um, it's, it's exciting. We're going to start a new book today. So um, open up your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel, um, which is where we're going to be camped for uh, a few weeks. And um, we are, we're, re- we're really excited as a leadership to be exploring this book um, because there is so much of this book that speaks directly to our Christian experience today, um, particularly in this age of culture clashes and, you know, um, endless debates and divisive arguments about everything from, you know, a couple of years ago, Brexit, to, uh, face masks, to, uh, we seem to have endless things to fall out about, um, but the book of Daniel gives a perfect biblical response and explanation about how we as God's people should respond um, to being out of our comfort zone and, and in a culture that perhaps maybe pushes against what God stands for. So it's, it's going to be a really, really enjoyable and valuable um, uh, exploration of the book of Daniel for us. Um, but um, bef- before we um, start reading, um, I, f- I feel like it's helpful for us to have a little thought, uh, think through basically in terms of you know, what, what Daniel covers and, and the context surrounding this book. Um, so, um, as I've kind of touched on, it, it, it's a lot more than a story about a lion's den. And I, when I think of Daniel automatically, I can think of like my little, you know, being in Sunday school and my, my little kid's Bible with the pictures and the lions asleep and everything else. But there is so much more to this book than that. So, it's uh, 12 chapters, chapters 1 to 6, um, really detail the exploits of Daniel and his friends. And 7 to 12 um, are... Um, Daniel's prophetic visions um, about his time and actually much further into the future. And um, I've, I've spoken about one, why this book is rel- um, of value to us as Christians today, but there are a number of different themes in this book. Um, the key one is God's supremacy. Um, his supremacy over man-made idols um, and kings. Um, a supremacy that means that even in the most hostile environments, um, the people that God has chosen as his own can expect to flourish and do well. Um, and we, at the same time as recognizing and elevating God's sovereignty within this book, we also see uh, very clearly um, that the decisions that Daniel and his friends make are absolutely key. Uh, and, they, and they have to make difficult decisions in situations where actually they might find themselves in, in, in increasing danger. And what I hope is that we'll be able to learn from their stories how to apply a similar kind of boldness to our lives today. So um, as you've heard many, many times from this pulpit, context is key. Uh, and you know, the book of Daniel is set within the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible. And I think it's helpful just to think about where we've got to in the Bible so far. Um, so we've started in Genesis, uh, and really what, you know, God has created everything, um, and mankind's gone wrong. And really the rest of the Old Testament is laying the foundations for how God is going to put everything right again. Um, and key to God's plan is the nation of Israel, um, which he chooses for himself 
uh, redeems from slavery through miracle after miracle in the book of Exodus and leads to a promised land. But unfortunately, God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel is not reciprocated. And, and we see in the books of Kings and Chronicles and, and First and Second Samuel um, that um, with each passing king, um, the nation of Israel drifts further and further from God um, with devastating consequences. The, the first of which that the nation of Israel, a, a unified family, uh, becomes torn into and became, it becomes two separate nations, one of Israel and another of Judah. And then, but it doesn't stop there. Unfortunately, things keep getting worse and worse and it ends in them being taken into slavery by um, their by neighboring nations of Assyria and Babylon. And the book of Daniel is among, uh, and Daniel, sorry, is among the first wave of captives to be taken from Judah um, into Babylon. And this is where the book is set. And so I think there's value in that little history lesson because it enables us to be able to put ourselves into Daniel's shoes. Um, Daniel and the Israelites, they, they, they would be, and rightfully so, a very proud people. You know, they're God's chosen people. Um, and Daniel himself is nobility. He's a descendant of you know, King David, you know, the, the superstar of the Old Testament. Um, but he finds himself in chains or captive in a foreign land. Um, so he, all of a sudden in reality, at least to our eyes, has plenty of reasons not to be faithful to God because he would have seemed so distant. He'd have grown up with bedtime stories about the God that parted the Red Sea and how powerful and mighty he was. But with his eyes, he'd have seen King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, walk directly into the temple, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, the creator of heaven and earth, decided that that was his place and he's watched a king walk in there and take the articles and treasures all the things that are precious directly out of there seemingly without consequence how difficult would it have been for him to recognize that his god was god was even there um he's as i said a descendant of david he's he's part of royal blood if anyone within Israel was special, surely it would have been Daniel. But he is in a situation where he sees, he's, he's torn, up, torn away from his family and friends um, and sees them taken, to, taken into captivity in a pain that many of us will never even begin to understand or recognize. In fact, many of the interp interpretations of the Hebrew or understanding of history at that time has that would see Daniel and his friends as eunuchs. So I think they've been, as well as experiencing all that pain, they've been castrated as well. So put yourself in Daniel's shoes. I, I, how easy would it have been to recognize that God was there, if at all? Many of us have experienced pain and suffering at different parts of our lives. Um, I don't think any of us, or certainly not many of us in this room, could say that they've experienced pain and suffering in the way that Daniel has in this book. Yet, however, he, we are still talking to, about him thousands of years later as a supreme example of faithfulness to God in times of hostility. Um, how is it that he could be so confident in a God 
um, and in trusting God when with everything that he could see with his eyes, God wasn't there. Um, and for us to understand this, uh, I mean, hopefully we'll be able to, to get a better understanding of this as we go through this book. And certainly we can see the beginnings of that in this first chapter. So, um, so I'll ask you to open up your books, your Bibles. I'm, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Um, uh, the, the, King, the King James Version has the heading, The Choice Young Men which I, I thought was a bit odd. <laughs> I didn't want to get anybody overexcited or um, distracted. So I've gone with the NIV, which has got the more sedate Daniel's training in Babylon. So um, yeah, we'll start reading from there. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guards took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Um, so, looking at chapter one, we can see, you know, we, we, we literally get to the second verse of the book. We're barely into the book before we see the key theme of this book screaming out of us. As I mentioned, Daniel and his friends, they have every reason to be despondent. And 
Daniel at this time, he doesn't have the book of Daniel written in front of him. Um, in the eyes of the world, there, there wasn't a situation that could demonstrate better um, that God was not in control um, than what had just happened to the people of Israel and the people of Judah. Um, God's very own prized possession being torn from their land and placed into captivity. Um, but the words in verse 2 are, the Lord delivered. Uh, as God was in charge. Even in this dark, horrible circumstance, this was part of God's plan. God delivered. Um, and, th th and this sets the stage immediately for the rest of the book. Because it's not a story of how strong Nebuchadnezzar is. It's not a story of how strong the forces of evil are. It's a story of how strong God is. Um, and, it's a and that's what we need to take away for ourselves as Christians. Um, when we think about you know, the historical context of, of this, you know, you've got Nebuchadnezzar going to war against the Israelites. And, and war in that time was different to war today. You know, when you, when you think about um, if, we, if, if, if two countries are going to war, it's about who, who has the biggest nuclear warheads. Um, or if you want to think more philosophically, it's, it's one ideology against another. Um, but in that time, it was about whose God is bigger than whose. That's why, you know, that's why Nebuchadnezzar, he, he makes a scene of taking things out of um, the God of Israel's temple to say that my, my God, the God that I serve, is greater than your God. But here we see in verse 2 that God knows something that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't. At least he doesn't know yet. We'll see later on in the book that he does get to know. Um, but in, in a similar way, we as Christians need to recognize that we have inside knowledge as well. Um, that when we are going through really difficult times, many of us are, and many of us have been, and, and, we, and many of us will, um, we need to recognize that God is in control. And because there is no greater comfort to a Christian than knowing this, um, there, there, is, there are so many reasons why God being in control is a comfort to us. Um, it's, a, it's a comfort because he's good. Um, if God wasn't good, if he was evil, that would not be a comfort to anyone that he was in control. When we look around the, at the world around us and we see the, the suffering, the pain, um, awful illnesses, that there would be nothing comforting in knowing that God was in control and he was leading us to that as his end goal. But we know as Christians when we pick, pick up the Bible, when we look at his words, that that isn't his end goal. Um, that he works all things together for the good of those that love him and have been called according to his purpose. That is comforting. To me as a Christian, that is comforting. That is the comfort that we find knowing that God is in control. It's God being in control is a comfort because he is merciful. You know, knowing that God is in control and that he is good is not comforting <laughs> if we think about actually how bad we are and how evil we can be and how we can treat other people and how actually even we treat ourselves. And the Bible is clear about you know, what the wages of sin are, death. You know, there is no, uh, Isaiah says, there is, there is no peace for the wicked. 
None of us in this room can put our hand up and say that we have not been wicked at one point or another in our lives. But we thank God that we are here through Jesus Christ. And he has enabled us to find a way to be drawn near to him despite how we lead our lives. We, have, we are able to benefit from his mercy. Um, and so where we should be hopeless, we can be hope-filled in dark situations because God is in control and he is merciful to us. And moreover, God being in control is comforting because he doesn't change. You know? um, being in control is not necessarily a good thing if you're always changing your mind. Um, no, uh, I, I'm from Wolverhampton. Uh, there, there, is not, there isn't a place that means more to me than this city. But every year, I do like to get on a plane and go on holiday. And I've not been able to do that this year because, like many of us, it's found it really hard to make head nor tail of travel rules and when it's safe to go and when it's not good to go and when, when we're red and when we're amber and when we're green. And you know, I've got family that were in Portugal and everything seemed fine. And all of a sudden, you know, it was Amber and they had to, oh my goodness, I had to get on a plane and book a plane and get back. And it's been really <laughs> hard to make head or tail of these rules and, and, when to be, and when we can go on holiday. And my point is that although the government is in control, that hasn't provided me any comfort in when to book my holiday. Um, <laughs> and... That is the exact opposite to God. Can you see, we, the government being in control, they have, of necessity, I'm, I'm not here to start, you know, be a political <laughs> mouthpiece or anything like that. Of necessity, they have changed their mind at time to time. But there's not been comfort in that. But the Bible is clear that God is unchanging. Yeah? 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. For he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Um, it's a lot more comforting than booking my holiday because I know that you know, the promises that he makes, that we read in our Bible, that we speak about, that we sing about, um, are ones that stand now, today, and forever. Um, and so we know that when we put our trust in God, in, in the God that is in control, we can guarantee that we will not be disappointed. Um, like I said, if you imagine Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, looking at the events unfolding, there's, there's no way that he would, have think, he would think that the God of Israel was handing him uh, the, the, the nation of Judah. He, he wouldn't have been sitting there thinking that somebody helped him out. I'm pretty sure he would have you know, been stroking his beard or you know, I don't know, pretty happy with himself is the point I'm trying to make, um, that he has just successfully got another nation under his belt not realizing that actually this was just part of God's plan. And in the same way, um, we can be sure that sometimes when we're going through difficult times, and particularly when people are oh, seemingly persecuting us or pressuring us, they won't be aware um, or, or appreciate who is really in charge. And, and that's why we can't look at the world around us reliably for an interpretation of events. Um, we, we, we can't look at television or social media to tell us precisely what is going on all the time. Our, our source as Christians is not Snapchat or Instagram or whatever else. It, it, it is the Word of God. Um, and it's looking at the Bible. What does God have to say about what's going on right now? It's, 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 spending, it's taking time um, away from those constant distractions, like Dean was saying, 
um, to, to pray and to focus and listen to his Holy Spirit. That's why we're excited to be able to have, you know, the, the, this, the, this day that we're going to be setting aside as, as we, for the next few weeks as we start our study into, in Daniel to, to say, actually, you know what, I, I, I'm really busy, but I'm going to carve out this time for God. I'm going to make this sacrifice for God. Um, I'm going to put him above the rest of my day so that I can hear his voice and so that his voice is the loudest voice to me louder than all the other things that are trying to grab my attention every second of the day. Um, if you look again at... Um, oh, sorry, I'm going to try to get my... Sorry, get my notes me. What's happened here? One second, let me just find my notes. <laughs> um, we'll have a look again at Daniel um, chapter uh, verses 3 to 6 again. I'll just read through them once more. Um, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Um, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so, yeah, again, a little mini history lesson. It was a custom of, uh, of kings at that time, conquering kings, to take the young rulers and use them to influence their newly acquired nations uh, to follow their purposes. So, I mean, the idea was to take, you know, the, the, the richest, the strongest, the most powerful, and, and influence them, shift them into the new culture, into the new regime, and with doing so, bring everybody else within that conquered nation along, along with them. Um, and so you, you could, that, that's why they, they chose the best, um, the social influences of their time almost, um, to, to be able to bring the, the new nation, newly acquired nation, in line with the agenda of Babylon. Uh, and, I mean, immediately you can see almost the... Um, the unfairness of that, really, in terms of your, the, 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 the young, the handsome, the, the, the clever, being taken and given you know, food and wine whilst others are killed and, and thrown away um, because they don't have those same desirable attributes. Um, that, that people, people being elevated based on only what they have to offer. Now, God's system, um, if you look anywhere in the Bible, is not based on what we have to offer. Um, it's actually based on the exact opposite. Um, but what is equally true is that God is able to use people in positions of power and in positions of influence um, to bring about his plans. God can use the rich. He can use the poor. He can use the clever. He can use the not so clever. Um, what is, but what is important is, that we do, is what we do with what God has given to us. Um, if you look around society today, um, and, you know, much to Graham's amusement, I've been watching Love Island this summer, so I'm a bit of a, a, an expert on this, in that there are plenty of people that um, don't have a physical defect in the way that, uh, uh, that the, the, um, the book of Daniel points out um, in these verses. But the question is, how are they using those gifts that God has given them with their pretty faces and chiseled bodies um, to, influence, um, to influence those around them. 
Um, if, you, if you go on Twitter or Facebook, I'm sure you see lots of videos from people that are very well learned, like, like, like the verses in Daniel, are very intelligent. But how are they using their wisdom and their cleverness um, to, to, to help the people around them? Um, we, we've got such a wide array of people within our church from lots of different backgrounds. And, and, and each of us have our own little sphere of influence, um, whether that's um, with our family, with our children, uh, with our friends, with our work, colleagues. Um, we've all got um, people that we hold sway, of in, sway over in one shape or another. Um, but what I want to say today is that if God has put you in a position of authority, um, that isn't something necessarily that we have to shy away from. If he's opened a door for you, it's not something for you to, uh, for you to shut and close. It's something for you to use to his glory. God wants to use us to influence the world around us, not be influenced by it. Um, Nebuchadnezzar changed the name of Daniel and his friends, but he could not change who they were. Um, if, the, the same should be true for us. Um, Look at, look at Jesus' words to us as Christians, and you can see that we too are called to keep our identity while staying within the culture. John chapter 17, verses 14 to 16 says this, I, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And it's so interesting here that Jesus doesn't pray for them to be taken out of the world. He prays the exact opposite. He prays for the disciples to remain with, where, exactly where they are, um, but to go about and do his work from that position. Uh, and the same is true for us. You know, but Paul in the book of Philippians refers to Christians as being citizens of heaven, out of this world, um, but working from within it. Um, and when we, when, we, when we recognize that, when we as Christians begin to see our identity clearly, that's when we start to understand that we are to use our gifts to bring about his glory. So, you know, forget Love Island, our pretty faces, our big belly muscles, our big clever brains, whatever attributes that you have, let's start thinking how do we use those for God's glory uh, and how to, to influence the world around us for good. Um, because this is what Daniel does. You know, it, would be, it would have been so easy for Daniel. You think about that, that, that situation that he's in where he's seeing his countrymen you know, probably get slaughtered and mistreated left, right, and center. It would have been so easy for Daniel to use the advantages that he'd been given in his, in his, in his uh, education, his nobility, or otherwise, and just conform, just blend in with Babylon. But he doesn't do that. Um, in the same way, it's so easy for us to just, just conform and just blend in. That's the message that we get sent endlessly all day. Just conform and just blend in. But that's not what God is calling us to do. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. It's to be out of this world, but working from within it, really. Let's think differently. Let's act differently. I, th I also find it interesting, though, as well, that Daniel, in keeping his identity and he's eager and so passionate about keeping his identity but that doesn't necessarily mean going to war instantly with the authority that is over him um, 
When Daniel chose not to eat the wine and the king's food, he could have dug his heels in um, and you know, gone, on, gone on hunger strike straight away. Or, um, but he, instead, he reaches a compromise. And I felt there was a lesson there for us as well. You know, the topic of identity is so live in our society right now, whether as it applies to race or gender or whatever else it might be. And as I've touched on already, um, it's so easy to you know, jump into our respective camps um, when somebody brings up or challenges our identity um, in, in those categories. And to be so angry that we don't want to hear what the other person has to say, um, we just decide, somebody says one syllable and we decide, oh, okay, you're on their side, so I don't want to hear any more. Um, but that, that isn't what we can learn from Daniel today. We can see that actually in the book, in, in this chapter, and how Daniel behaves today, he, 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 he stops and he gives a measured response. And actually, him giving a measured response, he, he says, give us, get, test it for 10 days and do as you see fit. And in giving that time, actually, that measured response, not the instant clap back, but the measured response allows God the space to do the miracle. Yeah, and I, th- and I think there's so much value in that for us today, that actually we don't always need to uh, clap back instantly without thinking like everybody else does. And um, actually, that measured response and taking our time, actually, we, you know, I'm going to let God answer that question for us. I'm going to let God respond. And, and that's not to say um, that we sit silently when we see injustice. God hates injustice. God is a God of justice. I've just said that God is good. Um, but what it is to say is that we don't react in the same way as the world around us when we see these things. Um, Following God can seem so perilous at times. Um, Yet we see in the story of Daniel that God rewards faithfulness. Daniel and his friends, by the end of the chapter, they're healthier than their, their peers. Um, almost as if they've been listening to Michael Mosley and eating dark chocolate. Um, they're, they're, they're standing head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, they, 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 they've got knowledge and understanding. They're ten times better. And, and, the, and the question for us is, is where are we going to place our trust? Are we going to place it in the, the systems that we see around us and, 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 and the ways that we're told to achieve happiness and success in the world around us? In, in, in the American dream, in, you know, in, in, in the rat race, in, in, you know, if, you, if you, you know, if you work hard, you will be happy. Um, it, it, is it in, in, or, the, or the opposite, you know, if you, the fake it till you make it kind of mentality. Are we going to place our trust in that? Um, or are we going to place our trust and our faithfulness in God? Because like I've said already, Daniel had all the attributes to place his trust in the system that he saw around him. Um, he, he's seen that, that, by all accounts, using his eyes, he's seen that the system of the world around him works. He's seen the system of where, of actually where, where, where power, um, power, uh, human power over, overarches all, where Nebuchadnezzar just walked into the temple and actually that's been successful and his God is apparently nowhere to be seen. He's seen that work. He could have easily blended into that system and just followed the path that, that, that was set for him, but he doesn't. He shows faithfulness to God. Um, and when I, when, I, when, I, when I think about what Daniel does, has done, it makes it challenging when I put myself in his shoes. Um, you know, I, 
I like meat. You know, it would have been really hard for me to you know, look at vegetables and water on one side and see a steak at Miller and Carter at one, on the other side and think I'm going to pick vegetables and water. But that's what Daniel does out of faithfulness to God. Um, we need to think and be able to make difficult decisions um, out of faithfulness to God in our society and our culture today. Uh, Romans 12 verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As I've touched on, we need to resist the urge to conform. Instead, let's find God's will for our lives and run with that. Do, do you know what God's will is for your life? Do you have the peace and comfort of knowing that you don't have to try and fit in with the world that we see around us um, because ultimately God is in control and he wants what is good for us? If you don't know this, um, I want to call you to know that today. Um, He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to enable you to be able to know this if you repent of your sins and come to know him today. If you do know this, let's... Let's renew our faithfulness to God today in the way that we live our lives, in in fasting uh, over the next few weeks, in in, in prayerfulness. Let's live life differently, recognizing um, what God has done for us and showing faithfulness to him in the way that he has to us. Um, I'm just going to pray now. Lord God, thank you for that. Thank you because you are in control. We thank you for Daniel and the example that he is to us um, of how to remain faithful to you and how to cling on to you even when times seem darkest. But more so than that, more than a story and understanding of how faithful Daniel was to you, it speaks more, this book speaks more of how faithful you are to us. Help us to be able to see you in situations where it is very very painful when it is very very dark and when it's almost seemingly impossible to see you help us to see you and to and to honor you and to glorify you above everything else and whatever the cost because you gave everything for us Lord Jesus be glorified and lifted up